It was not earned or deserved what I had experienced at Disney. But when I sought out God and what I felt like he was calling me to do, I saw a bigger purpose in all that. I felt strongly that God had brought me to Disney and given me that success so that I could step away from it. Hello, and welcome to Working with me, Dan Doriani, hosting a podcast where we explore faith, work, culture, and the way believers can make a difference in their corner of the world. My guest today is Tony Bancroft, the man with a hand in making many of your favorite childhood movies, from Lion King to Milan. Tony lets us see behind the scenes in the world of animation. He also tells us what his work has taught him about human behavior, failure, and God's presence in the entertainment industry. So I'm so glad to have Tony Bancroft, my brand new friend. We've been friends for seven minutes now. Yay! <laughs> my brand new friend who is a professor at Azusa Pacific University, a 2D and then 3D animator, a host of a podcast, some, a movie director for Disney, drew some of the most beloved characters in Disney's history in his earliest stages of life, started a company that was off to a great start and then failed because the market was against him, mm. a man of parts. We're so glad to have you here today, Tony. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. I almost cried a little bit when you gave me that intro, so I appreciate it. <laughs> why, why did you almost cry? Well, I guess curious. it was the, the when you got to the to the uh, studio and company that I started that failed. Uh, <laughs> that's, there's still some hurt there, uh, just from, there? An e- from an ego standpoint. Yeah, but but um, it needed to happen for God to take me to you know what came next and where I am now. So, well, one of the things I loved about your story, and I don't want to, I wasn't planning on starting in the middle, but you say in one of your podcasts that the that that venture, which failed in the end because of market forces, I mean, it wasn't your fault in some narrow yeah, sense, right? gave you an opportunity to do all sorts of things that you never would have done otherwise and opened many doors. It really did. And I, I think that's the, the wonderful thing about 2020 hindsight is and how God works in such an amazing way. You start to see his hands um, on the on on the road of your life in that um, even in that failure and I was doing something and I'm sure we'll get deeper into it later but I was doing something that I really felt uh, led by God to do to start that animation company um, and it was a faith-based Christian uh, based company and we were producing you know cartoons for the faith-based market and then to move uh, to a point of it failing and us not being able to provide for our families anymore and having to make some tough choices was really hard. But then, you know, being where I'm at now or even 10 years after it happened, being able to see that there was purpose, there was right. a greater purpose yeah. uh, in that failure, in that moving forward. And yeah, I've learned so much from it. I've grown from it and I've used that knowledge to have more successes and better successes, I think. In yeah. A lot of times Christians day. will say that the worst thing that happened to them was the best thing that ever happened to them. Yeah. Because of yeah. what they learn and how they grow through it. But yeah. uh, you're, no, you're not a stranger to difficulty. You grew up in a home, if I can go in that direction. We'll do your history a tiny bit. Sure. Yeah. But I mean, you did grow up without a lot of money, right? Yeah. Single parent, uh, three kids, you know. Um, yeah, it was it was tough, but we didn't. You know, that's the great thing about parents, oftentimes. And and my mom was just a a peach in that way because she shielded us from all of that. We uh, we only remember, and it's funny, we, we kids get together and we talk about our past, 
And we don't realize how poor we were, mm-hmm. you know, it's not until my mom said, oh, you know, we almost didn't have Christmas that year. And yet it was like, we have the fondest memory of our Christmas, you know? Yes. Right. So, right. But when you were a kid, this, you know, this does lead to your story. When you were a kid, you and your brother, you have a twin brother who's also yeah. an animator, identical twins. Sure yep. seems like it anyway. Um, so you and your brother grew up just drawing and drawing and drawing, and you got into the school of your dreams. And then you ran out of money and you had to do something and you ended up at Disney. Uh, that's, that's the you know, thumbnail sketch. But walk us through how you got to Disney and got to do these awesome things. I mean, I told my granddaughter, I'm going to talk to the guy who drew Pumbaa in The Lion King. Her eyes <laughs> yeah. got big, you know? Uh, yeah, it's funny. I mean, I still have people uh, coming up to me, including my students, that said, oh, you created my childhood, you know? Yeah. And, that's intimidating, yeah. um, and, and hopefully they're sane and good people. But uh, but yeah, I, I don't take credit for all that. You know, it's Disney, the big Disney thing. Anyway, uh, to answer your question, uh, you know, Tom and I grew up always loving to draw, um, and you know, as twins, we were twins can either be one of two things: they can either want to be individuals and not want to talk to each other and really be. Um, you know, um, apart from each other, or they could be the best of friends. And that, that was my brother and I, Tom and I, mm-hmm. still to this day. We, um, we love each other, but we want to, we're each other's best friends. We want to hang, hang out all the time. We had all the same interests growing up comic strips, comic books, you name it, all the geeky stuff at the time. Now it's like taking over the world. But right. um, at the time, that was the super geeky stuff that we were into is comics. And um, we drew every day and we were just like the Bible talks about how iron sharpens iron. That was Tom and I. We would be critical and competitive with our Mm. drawing, just like most brothers were with football or some other sport. Um, And we were (laughs) very unsporty type guys. So um, we really threw ourselves into art at an early age, drawing cartoons, wanting to do a comic strip. And that led to... Um, finding out about CalArts, which is the college that you were, uh, you were referencing before. And CalArts is one of the most expensive schools, private, you know, uh, private schools for animation. And, and at the time, it was the only, the top one and, and almost the only one in all of uh, the United States. There was another one in, in Canada. So when we decided we really wanted to do that, we told our mom and she was a little stressed, but she's <laughs> such a great supportive mom. She wanted to see our dreams come true. She, she knew that we were all in on wanting to do animation. So she found a way to get us through, at least through the first year. Um, mm-hmm. And she had just married uh, my stepdad at the time who didn't have any really responsibility over us as, as adult males. And yet he doubled down and put some savings into our, took savings out of his own savings so, so that he could pay for our first year of school. And I, I will always what remember a gift. him. Yeah. Such a gift um, and neither earned or, nor des- deserved. Um, but it was because of that we were able to get through the first year. And it was the second year that became the difficult one. We had summer jobs and it gave us just enough between what my mom had left and her savings and then uh, the summer jobs that Tom and I took on. We were able to pay for the first semester of that second year. And, and, and thank then God, you auditioned. Yes, thank God Disney came looking to hire interns, and this was a this was our way in internship at Disney Feature Animation. It was a dream come true, 
And but we were uh, sorry, we were sophomores at the time and only halfway through our sophomore year. And they were only looking at junior and senior portfolios. So they, they didn't want to, you know, take kids from, you know, midway through their program. They were looking for people that were going to graduate pretty soon or something like that. So mostly seniors. And so we begged, we begged the, the guy that was there looking at portfolios from Disney um, and a guy that uh, I later became very good friends with. And he became a mentor figure to both Tom and I. But we were begging, please, you know, you don't understand if we don't get this opportunity to show our portfolios, we'll be at, you know, Carl, Carl's Jr. or McDonald's next semester. Mm-hmm. We're not coming back. There's right. no there's no coming back to show your portfolio later. You're not taking away students from their junior year. You're not interrupting our education. You're saving our lives. Yeah, it's not going to hurt CalArts because CalArts is already going to be hurt when we when we announce that we're not coming back because we have no money for next year, right? Or next semester. And um, thankfully, he did allow us to show our portfolio, and he liked it. Uh, He liked our both of our portfolios. There was never a moment where. Um, and I'm thankful for this too, that he had to make a choice or Disney had to make a choice like, well, we'd like one of you better than the other. And it, right. you know, we didn't even, we never even conceived that, that Tom and I could be separated by mm. one of us being rejected. Um, and thankfully we didn't have to worry about that because not only did we get into Disney, but then after our internship, we both got jobs at the new Disney uh, MGM studios in Orlando. It was a theme park. And that was our first job at Disney, was being transported out to Orlando. Yeah, and you rose through the ranks rapidly, if I can just summarize yeah. it. I'll summarize it, and I want you to comment, all right? Sure. Uh, at this point. So, you know, pretty, this is now you, not your brother. I'm not, because right. it's you. Because uh, so anyway, I'm here, and you he's know, not. Yeah. You were, you were doing background scenes in Beauty and the Beast, you know, Be Our Guest, that magnificent scene. You were, mm-hmm. you know, very young. You worked on that. Very young, you got to draw the comical villain. I'm going to call him Iago in yep. Aladdin. Yep. And and then you got to draw Pumba, which you know that's a made pretty important character and a lot of comic relief and a fairly heavy for Disney, fairly heavy yeah. movie. Very, so you yeah. got you got like some comedy in there and a pretty expressive character, if I may say so. Well, thank you. Yeah, animators are I can be typecast just like live action performers and actors. And, and back then we were cast by the director of the film based on our strong suits. And some, some animators are good with the female characters. I mm-hmm. call them the girly men. Um, yeah. <laughs> and they would do the princesses and that sort of thing. Right. Some were really good with the villains. And for me, it was always, I was typecast as the comedy guy, which the comedy I loved. Guy, yeah. yeah, and, and also loved. animals. You tended to do animals. Yeah, and I love doing animals too, for sure. Um, you know, talking animals and stuff like that. Right, right. And just finding the you know anthropomorphic connection between um, you know an animal and a human, where where that soft point is, where they can be emotive like a human, have the personality of a human, and, or gesture like a human. Like getting a bird like Yago to articulate with with the feathers to make it look like he's got hands and stuff. Right. That's that's the creative fun that I like to do. He also lost a lot of feathers, I gotta say. He I did. Mean, a real bird would have been completely without feathers in a hurry. I think he was malting. Yeah, constantly. <laughs> like every 45 seconds he would lose, he would yeah. lose feathers, it seemed like. It's a, it's a cartoon, nobody yeah, counts. It is, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to imply that I was upset about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dan, you're <laughs> but, the only one that's like counting the feathers. That's right, not right. possible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're the guy in a Western that counts how many shots that the guy shot, right? He's, in, yeah, he's yeah, got exactly. a six shooter, but he shot eight times. <laughs> exactly. 
but I will say that um, I, I would love for you to tell the story about your responsibility to, to draw a warthog that sings a love song written by Elton John that he called in one at one point his greatest melody ever uh-huh. and then and then a raspy voiced warthog is singing the greatest love song he's ever written and he wrote a lot of songs by the way and knows yeah. his way around a tune he and does. he heard it and he said I quit I want to get I'm out yeah, you had to he, talk him off the ledge he almost he almost left the film right when uh, and it was the director's choice they they wanted to make it, uh, it was going to be a song between Simba and Nala, the two right. main lions, and or at least playing over like a love scene between them. Right. And the directors felt like there needed to be some more comedy. They wanted to um, uh, throw in Puma and Timon into that and had the brainstorm to have them sing the song. Or at least halfway through, they Most do their yeah. they do their own reprisal of it, um, and kind of in a mock way. And yes. Yeah. And when Elton John first heard that, he was appalled. <laughs> I can imagine. I mean, <laughs> because you know, Pumbaa's got that really grovelly voice. Yeah, He's yeah, like, "Can you feel the love tonight?" You know, and our it, friend is through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. that's right. And yeah. um, it was it was dissettling for um, for. Poor rocket man that he was. Yeah. Um, I want to get to you as a director and what you had to go yeah. through in Milan in a second, but can you please tell me, you, you helped out with Aladdin. Yep. Uh, the most, I, the first time I watched it when my children were pretty little. Yeah. I thought that the carpet, the magic carpet was more expressive than most humans. Mm. How on earth do you draw a magic carpet? carpet that with its tassel says things like me and sure I'll help you I'm on your side I'm shy now I'm bold I've gained confidence because of the way how do how do you do that in the grand tradition of Disney animation and animation in general you know cartoonists and animators have been taking um, inanimate objects and and bringing and anthropomorphizing them right. you know that's a big big letter word for basically humanizing them bringing human attributes to to that, so you know, just like in Beauty and the Beast, I animated Cogsworth the clock. It's it's an inanimate clock, but we we infuse a certain life to it and use the design to try and create arm shapes and things like mm-hmm. that. Same thing for the carpet, and and I'm glad you mentioned him because I didn't animate the carpet. It was um, a female animator named Ellen Woodbury who was like one of the very first female animators. That's why I mentioned her mm-hmm. sex only because I think it, it she deserves that kind of kudos. But she did a phenomenal job of bringing uh, the carpet to life um, and using the tassels as hands and right. using the, you know, the upper tassels as hands, the, the bottom tassels as feet. Um, and, and then just trying to get, you know, it's how you kind of warp. It's all about body posture a lot of times. Mm-hmm. You know, if I, if I arc my back and I create a line of action that is kind of sagging, then I look down. So it's looking at human behavior. That's what we do as animators. We look at human behavior, and how do we caricaturize that human behavior using um, what we have in front of us, these designs that are usually objects or something else or, or an animal? How do we humanize them? And it usually comes back to body posture, um, uh, trying to create hands and legs out of things that probably shouldn't be hands or legs, right, um, right. And, and just caricaturizing as much as we can. So... That we, we are keen observers of, of human behavior as animators. Yeah, and we, we might say, because we're so accustomed to reading people, 
and yeah. tiny gestures. For example, you know, if someone, if you go to visit somebody, if you're not sure how it's going to go, you're you're looking for questions like, are they leaning toward me or a tiny bit away from me? Exactly. Is there a gleam in their eye or is a little bit of dead lid in their eye? Yeah. And when I walk into their office, do they stare at their computer screen for one second or 11 seconds? Exactly. And, you know, that tells you the status oh, of your yes. relationship. And yeah. then you just put that onto a carpet or a clock yeah. or a candlestick, for goodness sakes. <laughs> but even down to, like, even as you're talking and saying those things, Dan, I'm looking at your body language and how you're fiddling with a pen or how you're gesturing with your hand. And, right. and you have a motion, a circular motion with your hand that usually is like, I'm, I'm listing something or I'm saying something that goes on and on. You know, there's subconscious, subconscious things that we do as we speak. And they all have a deeper sub- subtext kind of context mm-hmm. to what we're saying. We don't think about it oftentimes, but as animators, we are like actors with a pencil or with a computer, mm-hmm. and we're always trying to see kind of the deeper meaning in, in physical actions that we do while we're talking. How, we, how do we use our hands and things yeah. like that? So are you telling me that I should be as frightened of talking to you as I am, a frightened, as I am frightened of talking to a psychologist? because when I do this you go oh he's gonna make a list now I hope you're picking up that I like you I'm not gonna make a list I'm gonna make you into a cartoon character later you know it'll be behind your back you'll you won't know what it is but I don't know I make make you into kitten or something we'll see a kitten that would be interesting for what it's worth this is immaterial almost but I I do have a daughter who's now uh, an architectural designer but she was a cartoonist Ah. for quite a while Um, and you know she still does it on the side for fun uh, so I'll ask her if she can make me into a lion if you make me into a kitten, all right? All right. That'd be good. <laughs> That'd be good. This podcast is a production of the Center of Faith and Work in partnership with the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. If you're enjoying this conversation, you know the drill. Please rate this podcast and subscribe to it. And visit our workingwithdan.org site to get updates on new episodes, explore old episodes, hear clips from lectures on work, and enter to win our giveaways. As we jump back into this conversation with Tony, listen for his experience working within a team of creative artists. Tony has a gift for understanding people to capture us in art and to manage a workplace. He sees people's strengths and shortcomings and cultivates an environment where people can strive. How can you do the same in your workplace or your home? How does your work reflect God's ways? So uh, you went from, at at a very early age, you know, you've stressed on your podcast. Do you want to name your podcast? What's the name of your podcast? Yeah, my twin brother Tom and I have a podcast called the Bancroft Brothers, very original title, the Bancroft Brothers Animation Podcast. And it is exactly what it is, which is, Tom and I talk about our history and our past in animation, whether it be at Disney or other studios we worked at, talk about current animation, history of animation, all kinds of geeky, fun yeah. animation stuff. Yeah, so on your podcast, the Bancroft Brothers Animation Podcast, mm-hmm. you say you had great mentors and amazing opportunities, and you were the director on the animation side, I'm assuming not the voice side, co-director of Mulan, pretty big movie. Yeah. May I say a beautiful movie? I call it the OG Mulan because there is a live action Mulan that people might get it confused with. But um, yeah, this is the animated Mulan that came out in 1998. And I was the youngest, youngest director in Disney history. Yeah. So when they asked me to 
to do it at I was 27 that's when I started these are these movies take a long time though yes. just so you know Dan it's it's a good four year adventure um, and, and it certainly was for Mulan some take even longer to produce believe it or not but Mulan was four years so I finished it and I was in my 30s but I started when I was like 27 and uh, boy, I did not know what to expect in that journey. It was a roller coaster ride um, making Mulan. I loved it and I hated it some days. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, as as any leader that's thrown into a big opportunity that is overwhelming, mm-hmm. uh, and which is what that was, I, th- I there was more that I didn't know about directing than I did. Uh, there, and I found out very quickly there's no training for a Disney director. They don't have a shadowing program or anything where you shadow, you know, a, a, another director or anything like that. It's kind of you fall into it usually after you've been there for like 20 years or something. Yes. It's because you've developed a lot of experience over that 20 years that you might get into directing. But it it was passed on to me and, and I was asked to do it, um, like I said, after five years, five years yeah, at Disney. That's very fast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and um, I learned so much from it. I actually wrote a book about directing for animation mm-hmm. because I felt like I wanted to help others that maybe are because, like I said, there's there's no school you can go to. Right. There's not classes unless there's some universities that have uh, master classes um, uh, or, or like a master's degree program or something. But usually there's it's really hard to find anything about training for directing. And yeah. It's the social skills. It's the organizational skills. Mm. It's not the art skills that are are the big hangup for most directors. How do so, I get across, you know, my passion yeah. and my my ideas, my feelings about this story to a, a creative crew? So That's, can I just press into that a tiny bit, and then yeah. I, I will have a follow up question. So that would include things like, I mean, I locked, I looked very carefully at your color palette on Milan, and I'm, which um, I really have to say I liked a lot. Yeah. Thank you. I uh, loved the blues and the greens and the grays, mm. um, especially seemed just perfect. <laughs> and maybe a little bit of debt to some anime type uh, washes or something. Uh, yeah, so th- yeah, that's, did a, I that's, a, that? that's a good eye. Um, yeah, definitely. There was a lot of influences that went into it. But, you know, being um, a, a Chinese film or, or about right. a Chinese story and a Chinese girl, we looked at a lot of Asian. There was a lot of Asian influence in the right. Era. Uh, and so you had to convey that. You knew what you wanted, and you had to mm-hmm. convey it. But yeah. I want to mix that. I'm going to let you comment, but I'm also going to mix that with something you said once. You said that, uh, you know, love, hate, Milan. Um, and at one point, you know, you're very proud of it, did well, but you also said it didn't exactly turn out the way you wanted it to. And let me just say that that's an extremely common comment for people. You know, musicians you know, their greatest album or what could have been, but it wasn't quite. And they say, yeah, that album, there really wasn't what I wanted. And you think, well, you're the musician. Why? How could it not be the way you wanted it to be? And I've written a bunch of books by now, and people say, oh, I like this book. And I go, well, I'm glad you did, because I kind of hated it by the end. <laughs> and it somehow or other, although I'm just sitting there with a computer screen in front of me, it didn't take the shape I wanted. This yeah. this book is not the book I wanted to write, and I couldn't get control over it again. Some, mm. How does that happen? I don't know. And others, they just fly off my fingers, and I, the draft is perfect, and it's just what I wanted to say, Yeah. and others are in between. So I think creative people, I'm not claiming to be creative in the way that you are at all, but that sentiment's or that reflection's reasonably common among creators. 
Yeah, it really is. I, it is, and I've heard that so many times too. And uh, you know, and and a lot of times it boils down to one very common thing, which is where our har- harshest uh, critique or our harshest criticism comes from ourselves. Mm-hmm. We we're never quite happy, and I think that's what makes somebody great in a lot of ways too. I've I've examined that my own self and tried to really think about what that is. We've talked about it on the podcast even, but I really think it is a drive for excellence that that yes. makes us unhappy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and I do think there's a bit of torture and agony in creating art because of that, because you're, you, it's a little elusive. You don't really ever feel like it's totally finished or that it's, right. uh, or maybe you've overworked it or, and, you, and it's hard to put your finger on what that is, but it, but it turns into, you know, a bit of disappointment Right. Um, when it's not exactly what you think it could have been or should have been when you first had the inception. Yes, but you saw in your mind, maybe right. in the morning or at night, you, you had the color there in your mind. And yet, yeah. you know, yet the audience, we, we both know this, is that, you know, the audience, your readers of your books or my, the, the film, uh, film goers that come to my movies, they don't know that. They don't mm-hmm. know what our intention was. They only right. know what's on the big screen or printed it, you know, uh, printed between the binding. That's what they're judging, and they love it. They love it for whatever reason. It still has an impact. It still creates an emotional impact for them. That's what it's about, really. Let me toss out a saying. Uh, With regard to books, the saying is, no one ever finishes a book. They just stop writing. (laughs) Exactly. It's the same for a movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. You just, you, I mean, literally at Disney, there's release dates that are set for a movie once it starts production. There's already a release date that's like two years away and the clock Mm -hmm. is ticking. You have to have it done. There's so many financial and big money kind of things that are connected to that release date that you can't even fathom. And you don't want to know as the director. It causes too much pressure on your shoulders. So thankfully, other people will have to worry about the marketing and getting it out and the synergies between the ride that's being built and all those kind of things at the same time that you're making the movie. Um, So... You know, thankfully, we don't have to deal with that too much, but there's no turning back and you, it has to be done. So you have to lay the pencils down at some point. Yeah, that's that's important. Let me ask you a broad question. Mm. Suppose for a moment that there's somebody in the room who begged to get in here because they want to be an animator, director of shorts or whatever. Mm-hmm. What would you say to them? What's the What is the aspect of leading a project? And that could be, you know, leading a a character like Simba or the or the carpet or or Pumbaa, which is its own entity. I mean, you know, folks. Sure. In case you don't know this, the cartoonists, the 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 artists, the animators uh, don't they don't draw all the characters. It would take forever. Just right. We, we're assuming that. Um, what would you say to somebody who would want to be a leader in developing a character or even things like uh, directing a whole movie? What's the biggest surprise? What would most surprise them about your work? Well, that it's in the leadership capacity, you're not usually, there's a romantic side to being an artist when you first start, even mm-hmm. working on in a big system like Disney, where you can kind of shut the door and create an individual piece of work. When you're a director or a leader of a department or something like that, it's communal. You're engaging with other creatives and you're trying to express what you want, but also trying to be influenced by what they want to bring individually to that work. Um, and knowing how, and it's, and it's no different really from being a manager at, 
you know, Microsoft or something where, where you, um, you don't want to micromanage, you don't want to step in too much. You want to give people creative freedom. You're, you're, mm. you should know strengths and weaknesses, not only personality, you know, not only their art strengths and weakness, weaknesses, like, oh, this person's really good with foliage and painting colorful trees and things like that. Right. Whereas this person is better for lands, you know, uh, cityscapes and stuff mm. like that. You do need to know those things, but then on top of it, you know, how do they react to, um, you know, criticism? How do they react to my giving my creative input on something or making changes? Yeah. And are it, they and grateful, it, thrilled? Oh my goodness, Tony came yeah. by and gave me a tip. And some or people are, they, are, and some Tony, people hate it. Go away. Yeah. I don't oh. want to hear it. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> right. Exactly. And you know, and and there's egos, and there's prima donnas, and all that happens mm. in the art world too. So yeah, it really is knowing about how to engage people, how to manage people creatively, how to understand strengths and weaknesses. Those are the managerial things that. Um, seem kind of you know lame and uh, uninteresting i think for most artists but that's what makes really great leaders no matter where you are yeah good point because we don't have infinite time we're gonna we're gonna go to the fact that you and your brother both decided to leave disney eventually and you know you were at the top of the world people thought you were daft (laughs) <laughs> yeah. To make an allusion to Daff, Daffy Duck, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going there. Yeah. yeah. Probably um, much, anyway, much more they, like they, Daffy Duck. Well, at any rate, uh, you did leave. And it had to do with something I've always noticed about, I mean, you know, Disney's viewed as family friendly, but that doesn't mean it's a Christian firm at all. And it's not. Right. And as you and your brother said in one of your podcasts, Disney can be very open to every religion except Christianity at times. Yeah. At least it sure felt like that to you. Mm -hmm. And you decided you didn't want to give your life to that, and you wanted to give your life to something else. Yeah. What happened was, uh, you know, like you said, I had gotten to a very high point, really the highest creative station at Disney Feature Animation, which was being a director of a feature. There's really no higher uh, than that. And I had done it within five years. And I started to stand back after, after I finished Mulan. I had a bit of a break. And... I started to really look at my life and look at and really listen to God. That's that was I had gone through such an impactful time in those four years of making Mulan, very stressful, lots of ups and downs. I uh, I had moved to Florida and then moved back to California with my wife. We had three kids at the time. Uh, sorry, two kids at the time. One was going to come a little bit later, um, but they were all you know under the age of four or five, four or five at the time. So lots of high stress, lots going on. And it wasn't until after Mulan that things kind of slowed down that I could take a look at my life and and try and make some sense out of what God had gifted me. And I do feel like, you know, it was not earned or deserved what I had experienced at Disney. You know, and I trust me, I had friends that would tell me this is this doesn't happen. You know, mm-hmm. what happened to you and 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 these opportunities that have come your way. And I, I had to admit that um, it, it was perplexing. But when I when I sought out God and what I felt like He was calling me to do, I saw a bigger purpose in all that. And I realized that I felt strongly that God had brought me to Disney and given me that success so that I could step away from it, not be mm-hmm. there and continue on into whatever else would come, but to step away from it. That um, that He had more for me to do and. What led to, what I felt called to was uh, starting an animation company using the talents and abilities that he'd give me, but 
directly in the purpose of um, faith-based entertainment, um, more educational uh, for kids. And VeggieTales had just come out a couple years before that, before I left Disney. Huge success, you know, um, and I thought that's what we need uh, more in this world is um, Christians that have high skill sets that are very creative that can bring, um, they can turn the head of the world, basically, because right. I knew that entertainment was impactful. I knew that, um, you know, uh, pop culture was becoming more and more impactful, too, in our society. So to create animation that had uh, better moral values to it than what I saw Disney doing, um, you know, that had characters that were that, that um, kids could really relate to, that's what I was looking for. So I started Tenacious Family Entertainment. So can I just comment, Tenacious, which is yeah. a play on the word tenacious, yeah, and I guess yeah. cartoon, cartoon, yeah, cartoon tenacious. and tenacious, correct. Yeah. So you started that, and um, a little bit like Veggie Tales, maybe. I mean, Veggie Tales, highly moral. Yeah, I haven't watched it for a long time. I can't remember how much explicit faith is in Veggie Tales. Do you want to be explicit occasionally about your faith? I mean, like your podcast is generally not explicit about your faith, but once in a while you no. say, "Hey, think we talk about God. We're believers. We're, you're going to hear this once in a while." And that's, that's really what we wanted to do with uh, Tenacious and the kind of um, stories we told, the characters we created, was that they, how we put it was that they exist, our characters exist in a faith-based world, um, mm-hmm. a world that there is a God and that people do have faith. And so therefore, they can mention a Bible verse in mm-hmm. their you know, in their uh, activities during the day. If they're struggling with something, uh, you know, another kid could mention a Bible verse or pray for them. Right. Um, and that's the world that we wa- We wanted to make it seem natural, you know, just organic. Right. It wasn't like somebody got on a soapbox and started preaching. We see that way too much in Christian content. That's not entertaining. That's That, that turns people off. And so we were just trying to create characters that that had a core of faith and understanding of God and the Bible, and that would come into play in the stories and and the the lessons learned that they would always have. It would, in other words, their faith would express itself maybe vaguely as a carpenter's faith, or a construction worker's faith, or a truck driver's faith. Yeah, it was more relational. Would express um, itself now and again. He's not talking about it all the time, but it's going to happen because yeah. it's what's in you comes out of you, right? That's for sure. Said. And yeah. that, and that's very much in in tone with what VeggieTales was doing too. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had songs in VeggieTales that were really super silly. Yes, about like you know, where's my hairbrush and things like that. <laughs> um, so you well, can't say they, that they didn't have hands, so yeah, <laughs> it would be kind of hard and to brush yet, your hair. And yet, it was so impactful. VeggieTales is one of those things. And you know, here I am speaking like I'm Phil Vischer. You'll you'll have to have Phil on the podcast to talk mm. about how he created VeggieTales. But um, you know, he's a good friend of mine. Um, and even though we were somewhat competitive when when I mm. first joined the Christian market doing. Lenny and Sid and some of our, our stories and videos that we created. Yeah, it was a it was a tough time though. I mean, that's really what happened was coming out of I left Disney, I gave up the house, the car. I mean, it, leaving you, Disney you, poured, you believed in what you were doing. You poured your yeah. savings, your life, you risked we everything. We sold everything, we risked yep. everything, put it all on the line and from a from a world's point of view, it was a dismal failure. Mm. 
because we lost everything. Um, mm. We lost the house and the car. And I, I tell people all the time, it was um, poor timing on our behalf because uh, we finished our business plan, went out looking for money, uh, and two days later, 9-11 happened. Yeah. So that gives you some perspective of where the world was at. Nobody was putting money and financing into animating cart, you know, faith-based cartoons. That became the hardest business to be in. And then on top of it, the the housing market um, bubble popped a couple years mm-hmm. later. We lost our house and mm. uh, we were in foreclosure. We had bankruptcy. Um, and I had gone from, in really five years, being at the top of my animation game at Disney that, and being at one of the lowest points financially, emotionally, and but not spiritually, but financially mm-hmm. and emotionally, I was I was drained by the time we closed the doors seven years later on Tunacious. And yet, I through the whole journey, I never gave up the understanding and the deep, impactful truth that God had shown me during that that journey. That in all things, He was going to be there. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter about the fortunes. It didn't matter about the cars and the houses or whatever it was. Um, he provided for us every step of the way. My kids always had food on the table. We always had a roof over our head. He proved himself worthy of being the great God that he is and, and worthy of, of my constant faith. And, mm-hmm. and I can't tell you how deeply, Dan, um, my faith changed during that journey. I mean, I, I didn't give up on God. It was the opposite. I got right. closer to God. My wife and I got closer together in our relationship. My kids and, and our family grew closer together because we bound together like never before. Um, That's great. And, I'm glad uh, to hear that. It was, you know, like you said before, it really is. It was one of those most tragic and difficult times in my life, and yet so good, so such a blessing when I look back at what happened to us during that journey. And then coming out of it, you know, God has used all of that to his glory and and a betterment of my life. And we're, you know, we're now moving to Tennessee and we're buying a house. And I mean, it's like things have really turned around. Can I just pause you yeah. for a second? So Sorry, I got going a little fast there. No, yeah, yeah, right. So, <laughs> uh, you know, this is, uh, I mean, it's fun to hear your story. But, you know, I want to edify our listeners. So obviously, I just want to comment and say when hardship comes our way, some people turn against, I mean, hypothetically, your wife could have said, I told you this was a giant mistake. And you go, well, why did you ever tell me that? I, I don't remember, like one time out of 400 conversations, you said it, rah, rah, rah. And, and sometimes people decide God abandoned them in these yeah. moments. And in God's providence and through your faith, your reliance on God, you didn't take that turn against each other, but toward each other and not not away from the Lord, but toward the Lord. Mm-hmm. You also were employable. I mean, you had a lot, you gained a lot of skills. So I know you're a professor now, and mm-hmm. I know you're going to move to Tennessee. So I guess you're leaving Azusa Pacific University. I am. I, uh, yeah, I'm going to be heading to Lipscomb University, which is where your uh, brother is. Where my brother is, exactly. Oh, cool. um, so we've been apart for most of our professional careers. Either he's been in Florida or Chicago, or and I've stayed in California the whole time. So this is a big transition for me. This is a big life change. Uh, but before it, I do that, go, could, so yeah. from Tunacious, what did you do immediately afterward? Did you you went to become a professor? You've you've worked on things like Space Jam. 
Yeah, I spent about 10 years being a freelancer. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't want to start my own company anymore. I didn't want to be responsible for employees. I was That was the last thing I was looking for. But I did need to work, and I started really freelancing, going back to what I loved, which was animation, 2D mm-hmm. animation. And so I'd work on commercials, I you know, and I directed projects. I, I worked on a on a computer animated uh, film called Animal Crackers that came out last year, um, mm-hmm. or sorry, in 2020, right in the height of COVID, it was on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've directed, I've produced, I've done animation, I've done character designs, a lot of odd jobs here and there sometimes, but, and some more high profile here and there. I worked with a Beatle, you know, Paul McCartney, on developing a feature that he had for a little while. Um, so, um, you know, now see a lot of people would say, what you worked with Paul McCartney. That's pretty I know. Nice. I know. It was pretty surreal to tell you the yeah. truth. Um, short lived, unfortunately, the feature mm-hmm. itself, it didn't quite have legs, but, um, it was a great experience. Yeah. So I've done all kinds of kind of oddball things. And then I was looking for a little bit more structure, um, certainly financially to my life too. So that's when I started looking at teaching which at first well, I went kicking and screaming. I had always mm. kind of thought, you know, there's that age old adage of, um, you know, those who can't do teach. And I never wanted to be seen that way. Uh, and so I put up my own walls of restriction. My own ego got in the way of like for years just saying, no, no, I'm too good for that. Or I don't want to do that. I, you know, maybe when I retire and whatever. But while uh, you were teaching, you were still drawing, right? I, mean, I was. Still, I, I, and yeah. I am. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm currently teaching uh, two, three days a week, uh, two and a half days a week, I'll say. And the rest of the week, I'm working on a Disney project, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm animating on a feature that's going to be coming out next year. Or I worked on Space Jam or A New Legacy, or I worked on um, you know, um, Mary Poppins Returns. Anything that has any kind of 2D hand-drawn animation in it, I've probably worked on in the last couple of years. Um, I will say that, you know, people ask me all the time, like, oh, how can you be a Christian and work in that dark arena of making right. movies and, cal- you know, even in animation, there's this and right. that. Well, uh, to me, I feel like animation has always been the safest place to be for a Christian. And, and I say safe because we're basically making family content. And yes, Disney has a different definition. Sony has right. a different definition of what family content is. But you're usually an arena that's you know somewhere in the PG area, and it's and it is very faith, uh, uh, f- pretty safe. You know, there's good moral values, and the characters always have good outcomes that are positive from a from at least a worldly perspective. So if you do the right thing, things tend to work out. Yeah, sort of perspective. Yeah. So and when I, people I haven't had too many conflicts, you know, as a yeah, Christian. Yeah. When when people so I've been part of this conversation many times. Not mm-hmm. that I. You know, because I consult, I was a pastor for many years, yeah. um, and then a professor a little bit more. But people often say, "How can so and so? How can I stay in you know working for Microsoft or I don't know Google or right. Facebook or the military or yeah. the administration? You know, Democratic, whichever one I disapprove of. Right. How can I possibly work for that?" And I say, "Hey." If you don't like it now, imagine what would happen if all the Christians were gone. That's Point exactly. one. Yeah. But the other one is, you know, you do have to leave sometimes. And, you know, Joseph mm-hmm. worked for one Pharaoh mm-hmm. because he could do good. And Moses did not work for another Pharaoh because he couldn't do good because he was genocidal. Yeah. And, you know, I'm guessing, I mean, I'm reflecting back on your decisions and the course of your entire career, how you used your gifts. 
you always have to ask, you know, am I staying here just for the personal benefit? I've got safety, security, fame, 401k. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Versus am I doing good? The kind of good I believe God wants me to do with my skill set and my experience. And by the way, also the mentors that gave themselves to you. Mm. Right. You got to honor that, too. Yeah. And and that has been largely how I think about my career, too. Um, And I I mostly look back and I feel so incredibly blessed with the path that God has had me on. Like I said, even the 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 difficult days of tenacious, even at, at the worst of those, I still was thanking God for the opportunity to be there and to take another day on working to the benefit of his glory through everything that we were producing there. So that was great. Um, and yet I still, I have fun working on Space Jam, a new legacy, and I get a, you know, and that has, you know, bigger brand name attachment to it. And so people are impressed when I talk about it. But really, it just gives me a platform then, and same with social media. It's all there to give me a platform, basically, so I can talk about how God has interacted in my life, how Mm -hmm. the touch points that I can can obviously say as as God-driven and led. And that really helps other people that are non-Christians that haven't accepted Christ. They start to see that in their own lives. Because I Mm -hmm. think that's one of the things we could do best uh, as Christians— is talk about the presence of God in our lives and how we acknowledge it, how we see it, and how we can talk about it. I mean, what that's how we that's how we can really um, excite people about what it is to be a Christian is that we can actually talk about our own firsthand experience of God moments. And I think and that's you, I, exciting. you know, on your podcast, if I can uh, commend yeah. your podcast again to people who are interested in the arts, you uh, you know you dig into questions that sort of work on the topic of how God made us. Like, can I just ask you to give me a one minute riff on introvert extrovert, which is one of <laughs> yeah. you, you had an episode on that. So like, you know, some people I could, I could never be an animator. I'm an extrovert. I can't sit in a room and just draw stuff all day. Yeah. And it, and, and it is true that most artists and, you know, and I see this now day to day being a professor of college students, you know, they're very introverted and, mm-hmm. and we're coming through a time now the world is changing where, um, everybody, everybody's been online for years now uh, through COVID and such. And I see students that, and people of that age that are college age, they don't know how to relate, you know, they don't know how to relate to each other or, or to their teachers. And they're having to kind of relearn a lot of things that we take for granted because of our different childhood. Um, but, um, and, and they're mostly all introverted. I mean, I would say like 80% at least are, but you can be an extroverted animator right yeah absolutely um and and i those those tend to be the leaders because they're not the ones that are afraid to speak up in a meeting and and you can really tell like in the disney structure of you know creative management it's those are the ones that are applauded those are the ones that are rewarded the most are the ones Mm -hmm. that can they say you know uh give good meeting or they say you know uh be (laughs) be good in the room you know that's kind of the the disney saying are they are they good in the room and that tends to be the extroverts. And yet we've always looked at how introverts are looked down upon in society as being quiet and something wrong with them. They're misfits, but, right? I mean, the introverts are in other fields. They're the inventors. Yep. They just they're, keep trying to make this surface for a playground or yeah. a better screwdriver or something. Yeah. And they don't care that they're not talking to anybody. I mean, 
we would be so desperately impoverished. And I'm guessing most of the, your, I mean, the projects you worked on, I'm guessing most of the people who created the characters, by created the characters, yeah. I don't mean just drew them, but you talk also about creating characters. Yeah. First you visualize who they are, what they're going to do, then you draw them. But yeah. most of those people have got to be introverts. Most of them are, absolutely. And yet they can create characters that are not like them. And I think that's right. the joy of being a, a creative introvert is that I can I can be you know, Superman by, if I created him or if I created another superhero or something like that, I can be larger than life. I can save people. I could be, you know, a great orator or singer or rock star, you know, anything my imagination can set, set part to, um, I could be that in a way. And I, and there's something funny that happens as, uh, us introverted creatives, I, I love nothing more than, and my wife will say this too, I love my, nothing more than just sitting down at the at the drafting table, my drawing table, and getting lost, you know, and yes. finding, getting in the zone. You've probably experienced this yes. with your writing, right? Where you get in the zone and, and you don't even know it, but my wife has come in and said, yeah. honey, I've been calling you to dinner yeah, and yeah. you've been doing, you've been sitting there for two hours. Do you yeah. realize that? And I'm like, You, you skip lunch. Yeah. My favorite is, is when I have... I've like my stomach hurts and I'm thinking, why does my stomach hurt? Oh, it's three o'clock. I forgot to eat lunch. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, Jesus actually says that in one, says something that's akin to that. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Yeah. And I take that to mean that, you know, food is nourishing, but what's really nourishing is to do the will of the father and to finish the work he gave me. That's good. And he says that in John 4. Mm. And then in John 19, he says it's finished, right? Yeah. Because, and I think it's a callback to John 4. And I, I seriously take that as a, uh, as a license to get engrossed in work mm. and uh, let some things go because you're in the zone. Yeah. And it's flowing. I think so too. Uh, and it's kind of my happy place, you know? Right. Um, if, you, you get know. flow, right? You get yeah. flow at times. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I call it the zone, but you okay. know, we all call it something different, but it is that 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 place you go where just time stands still, you know, and you're kind of in that moment of creating. One way to look at it is maybe if somebody tapped you on the shoulder while yeah. you're doing it and they said, excuse me, sir, what's your name? You'd, you'd almost want to say, I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd be like, uh, uh, Tom, exactly. Tom Bancroft, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, okay, I'm going to go to a bunch of rapid fire questions, okay? I'm ready. Question number one. You're on the elevator going pretty fast from the first floor to the 74th floor. You've got somebody goes, are you Tony Bancroft? I want to be an animator. Give me the secret. Draw every day. Draw um, every day. It really is. Yeah. It, it, most people who love animation, they love it as, you know, that show that I grew up with that I'm very reminiscent about, but they don't know the hard work that goes into it. Right. Um, and animation is one of the arduous, most, most time consuming and arduous things that you can do. And it takes years and years of experience and drawing to be good at it. So get started. Start drawing. If you really love something, put the work in. Yeah, you know, and, and um, poets say, I try to compose a sonnet before breakfast. Mm. Even if it's not any good, there yeah. may be something, right? Poets write a sonnet. Composers write a song before noon. Even if the song isn't good, there's something there. 
I draw Mickey Mouse. I'll yeah. start by start my day by drawing Mickey Mouse. Do you really? <laughs> I do. Yeah, I love great. I love drawing Mickey Mouse. Get the fingers moving, right? Yeah, yeah, that's terrific. Um, and when people ask me about writing books, I always say, well, be sure to write at least a paragraph every day, even if it's bad. Yeah, it's it's got something good in it, even if you think that's a terrible paragraph. Mm. There's some truth in that paragraph, or you wouldn't have written it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That was question number one. Question number two. What's your hobby? For most people, drawing or sketching and art is a hobby, but that's not your hobby. It what really do you do is. For fun. I, you know, I don't do hardly anything except for watch. Maybe I'll watch movie and movies and shows. I guess you can call that. But in a way, that's research for me. So yeah. everything I do and love tends to be related to cartooning, um, comic strips, animation, watching movies, making movies. So you're you're monomaniacal. Yes. Yes. And certainly the maniacal part. All right. If you could do anything for one year. Oh, man. All all obstacles removed. You don't have to worry about passports. You don't have to worry about money, about losing your job. What would you do for one year? You know, uh, Tom and I both have a dream of, and I don't know that our podcast is this successful or popular enough, but to take it on the road. I would love to take mm. a year where I'm not working on anything, but Tom and I are just traveling the world going to different universities and colleges that have animation programs and doing live podcasts and um, and also teaching. But yeah, take a year just to travel with the podcast. That'd be great. Uh, so teaching large audiences, people just interested in animation, but also dropping by the local university. Yeah. And giving like your greatest, you yeah. know, concentrated wisdom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That sounds like fun. Yeah. Don't we all want to do that? I don't know. Uh, it's just me. Probably a fair number of people want to do that, take their show on the road. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Five years from now, what would you like to give thanks for? What would you like to praise God for in five years? I feel like I already have so... It's probably everything that I'm doing right now, but um, I, I don't know. In five years, just at the age that I'm at, if I could be praising God about you know good health, mm. that would be a wonderful thing because I do think about that now like I never have before. So You're not I mean, that old. Yeah. You know, most people listening at watch, you're like 50 something. I don't know. Dan, you're, you're probably older than me, but I think I look twice as old as you. So I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> you, don't, you don't look twice as old as me. <laughs> you still got um, your hair. Good for you. <laughs> well, I've got enough to create an illusion that I have hair. I don't know. <laughs> what would you like to say? One more word to, our, to your listeners, my listeners, our listeners. You want to say one more thing before I say thank you and... Yeah. And you get back to your work? Um, you know, I tell my students all the time, animate from the heart. Um, mm. And that's something that was kind of brought down to me through my mentor. And that may mean a lot of different things for people that aren't into animation. But what, it, what, what I hope it means to anybody that's not an animator themselves is that um, put your heart into everything. I believe that God wants us as Christians to be excellent. Um, mm. and strive for excellence in what we do because I think that's when the world really listens to us and gives us uh, an ear to our voice. Um, so that's what I would say is, you know, whatever it is, do it to your heart. Tony Bancroft, yes. animator, professor, podcast host, writer of a book about directing <laughs> and all kinds of other things. Uh, it's been a delight to have you on this podcast. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. This has been fun. Let's do it again sometime. All right, let's do it again sometime. Let's agree to that. Yeah, and I'll and I'll come with a drawing of you as a kitty cat. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> okay. That sounds worrisome to me. <laughs> <laughs> it may be. All right. Thanks, Tony. Great All to right. be with you. Take care. Thanks again to today's guest, Tony Bancroft. If you want to learn more about the world of animation, be sure to check The Bancroft Brothers, a podcast hosted by Tony and his brother, Tom. The link for that is in the show notes for this episode, or you can visit us at workingwithdan.org. At our website, you can explore archives of old episodes, subscribe to receive updates on new episodes, receive giveaways, and find bonus content. This podcast is a production of the Center for Faith and Work in partnership with the Alliance for Confessing Evangelicals. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And one more time, I'm Dan Doriani, reminding you to work hard, make a difference, and from time to time, take a break.